0: Welcome to Episode 74 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. For this episode, we're going back 40 years to 1979 and Bob Fosse's semi-autobiographical, genre-defying movie, All That Jazz. I have seen this movie fairly recently, and I love it. But Ryan has never seen it. We wanted to see if this was one where we see eye to eye, or if we'll have a classic Can We Still Be Friends disagreement.
1: All That Jazz was welcomed by fairly positive reviews and was impressive enough the year it was released to earn six Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and Best Director for Bob Fosse. It won four of them. Critics seemed unsure of how seriously to take Fosse's on-screen surrogate and couldn't help but bristle at the ego they saw dripping off the screen. Over the past 40 years, though, that relentless ego and the layered understanding the audience is invited to uncover has made the movie all the more charming to modern critics, as Fassbinder's unique perspective and vision sets itself further apart with each passing year. But does our hindsight mean the movie is really worth watching? Or should this movie just die so we can collect the insurance money? Keep listening.
0: magazine articles, TV shows, Ken and Barbie dolls who have a mutual suicide pact.
1: Oh, man, how many times do you have to at Right same off the
0: thing? Back? Until he gets to the whole
1: answer. There's a lady in Chicago, man, wrote a book, Dr. Kubler-Ross with a dash. This chick man, without the benefit of dying herself,
0: has broken the process of death into five stages. Anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Sounds like a Jewish law firm.
1: Morning, anger denial, bargaining, depression, acceptance. (laughs) Anger.
0: All right, so there's a clip from the movie we are discussing today, All That Jazz, that was Cliff Gorman playing a stand-up comedian. Hard to find a clip even for this movie to play. How many layers deep do I need to go explaining this? So it's Cliff Gorman playing a stand-up comedian uh, in a film that Joe Gideon, uh, the main character of this movie, is editing
1: that he directed and is finishing editing on. on. In the movie that that directed by Bob Fosse.
0: Which the movie that is being referred to in the movie we're talking about today is probably supposed to be Lenny.
1: Right. uh,
0: Directed by Bob Bob Fosse as well. Right. It goes deep, layers upon layers upon it layers. Does. There, it uh, does, and so that is part of, I'm sure, what we're going to be talking about today in our discussion. Yeah. Um. But we picked that clip partly because it talks about uh the stages of death. We didn't play the whole clip, right. but really this book or this movie, all that jazz, is definitely dealing with death. Yeah. Uses that as sort of the framework uh, from which to frame the entire movie.
1: And also. it's a musical comedy. Exactly. Sort of. <laughs> A dark musical comedy. A surreal, dark musical comedy about a very self-involved person told by the the self-involved person. person.
0: And written by and
1: choreographed
0: by. Yeah, yeah. It's So, a lot of Fosse in this this thing. Yeah,
1: the movie itself is one big wormhole Mm -hmm. you get lost in. It's like its own wikipedia like right. trail that you go on <laughs> exactly or like youtube video
0: trail rapid right, right. trail you go on right um, with like
1: three tabs open and you keep switching
0: back between the three different <laughs> videos that's a, that's a good comparison for for today's crowd that's you yeah. know that t- t- today's millennials bring the kids a- into it <laughs> um so all that jazz why are we doing this one so it is uh 40 years old yeah little anniversary thing going on here mm-hmm. Which, oh, so the movie's over the hill.
1: The movie is sure. itself now contemplating, contemplating its death, own
0: death. Exactly. That's a good point. Um, we've got, we haven't, I, I don't know if you've watched it. I haven't watched it yet. The whole fosse Verdun thing no, going on in FX right now. So yeah. this is sort of in the conversation. This movie is in the conversation. Sam Rockwell is and,
1: Bob Fosse. Yep. And uh, Michelle Williams is Gwen Verdun, mm-hmm. who are played in... All That Jazz by Roy Scheider uh, as not Bob Fosse, but Joe uh, Gideon. And it's not Gwen Verdun, but it's... Well, yeah, Audrey, Audrey Paris. Audrey Paris is the name of the character who by is basically Verdun, Gwen Verdun, yeah. uh, played by Leland, Leland Palmer.
0: Palmer. We just spotted off a lot of names. This we're going to have to tough, be very yeah.
1: clarifying,
0: I think, further on in our episode. Well, and
1: like you were about to say, it's tough to find a clip that the audio of will make sense mm-hmm. without seeing what's happening on screen. Because right. the movie jumps back and forth multiple times within
0: each scene. Yeah. I would like to think that people don't really listen to our podcast unless they've seen the movie. Right. But I really feel like especially in this case, if you haven't actually seen All That Jazz,
1: this might be, tough. This might
0: be a tough listen for you. But you know. at
1: the same time, I don't want to say that because I feel like All That Jazz is not a very widely seen movie. And I don't say that just because I hadn't seen it. I just feel like it's kind of a movie fans movie. Sure. It's not necessarily one that it I I don't see it working on like cable, you know, like it's not <laughs> like a movie that you like oh every time all that jazz is on I have to finish it uh-huh. cuz if you st- start in the middle it's it's it would be very weird. Sure. I'll, you know, I'll, uh, this might be getting a
0: little too into my my history with the movie, but when I have either recommended it to someone or uh, or I've showed it actually at the library for our cinema club. Really? Uh, we showed it actually last month. And um, people who, they enjoy movies, they wouldn't call themselves a movie buff, um, but they always come back to me and say that they really liked it. So mm-hmm. I, I think that you're right, that that is the reputation. But I mean, I think that, Forty years on, it might even—I think—the language of it is a little bit more accessible, maybe now than it even was back so. then. Yeah, and that people have an easier time, maybe even watching it now than they did in 1979. uh Anyways, you have not seen this movie until now. Until yeah, do you? I mean, I can talk about my sure, experience yeah. with it since you don't really have Cause
1: it because it was pretty recent that you
0: saw it for the first time, right? Yeah, I mean, Within recent in the last couple of years. I looked it up in Letterboxd; it was 2014. So. Oh. But time flies by these days. I feel it like, does, yeah, like I felt like I had only seen this maybe like two years ago, and I don't have a big story as to why I saw it, other than at the time I was just trying to catch up on movies that you know people talk about, and mm-hmm. I want to fill in that blind spot, and I actually. You know a podcast that both of us are big fans of um film spotting mm-hmm. based out of Chicago as well mm-hmm. uh Adam Kempinar, one of the hosts of that podcast. it's one of his like formative movies and one that he loves mm-hmm. and that I remember hearing it the first time on the podcast and being like, "Really, all, <laughs> all that jazz that's that's the movie to me they it was so tied with like cabaret, Yes, or like me too, and Cabaret to me was one that like I was like, you know." It's right. good if if you like that kind of thing, right? Not not like mind blowing, right?
1: But yeah, he talked about it as if it was mind blowing. I, you know, I I think there was probably a, a period of time where I thought all that jazz was some sort of sequel to Cabaret. Yeah, maybe, or like <laughs> that
0: it was because the song is in Chicago, right? So that it definitely, I had no idea what I had no idea what this was. No, no me clue. neither. And I said this in the last episode, and I'll say it again, even though I feel almost ashamed to admit it. Like when I watched all that jazz, which again was not that long ago, mm-hmm. I really did not know who Bob Fosse was.
1: Oh yeah, like, I mean,
0: I knew the name. I knew the name. You know, you could have told me it was autobiographical, but that didn't mean anything right.
1: to me. <laughs> I was I was ignorant of his film career. I was like, I mean, I knew he directed Cabaret, and I knew he directed all that jazz, but I thought it was like, well, he directed Cabaret because he was a musical theater right. director. That, and so all that jazz must be a musical theater mm-hmm. movie. I didn't know he directed Lenny. Yeah. I didn't know he had directed so many other movies. Right. And
0: then he's a he's a movie director. Yeah. And um that year I remember I was going to try to catch up on Criterion edition movies specifically. Stuff that had come out on Criterion. And at the time, uh Criterion had its collect its streaming collection was on Hulu, which I was a subscriber of. And I it was just serendipitous. Like it was just I was scrolling through. I saw all that jazz. I remember Adam Kemp saying it was pretty great. And I was kind of in the mood at the time for a musical, like a straight Mm -hmm. up musical. Mm -hmm. I did not know what I was getting myself into. And I watched it, uh, by myself on a day I had off and I just was completely, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. I was just, I really was blown away. Like I was just Mm -hmm. like, this is not what I expected it to be. It's way weirder. Definitely. And, For a while, I didn't know what to think of it. For actually most of the movie, I didn't know what to think of it. And I was kind of like, I think I like this movie. I don't know if I would tell people I like this movie. But I remember, you know, especially Roy Scheider. I was just like, holy cow, Mm -hmm. that is a performance right Mm -hmm. there. Um, And just being really sucked into the way that the movie was telling me the story um yeah. that i just loved it because i wrestled with it you yeah. know i thought about it for days afterwards it was immediately a five star movie interesting and i my my pretty stupid review at the time was just a one line uh the seventh seal goes broadway <laughs> 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 Most people actually compare this to more of a Fellini-esque yeah, eight-and-a-half yeah. kind of thing. But I actually think The Seven Seal might be just as I think, uh, yeah. equal of a comparison, just as with how much it deals with death and yeah. what life means in view of death. I, um, would,
1: I would say it's an easy comparison to say eight-and-a-half. yeah. Um, but, but I think, like you said, the movie is so layered that it does fit to... S- Compared to The Seventh Seal yeah. as well. And because you even have things. him
0: trying to like bargain and talk with death, right. you know,
1: which you have in this movie
0: for as well. God. Um, yeah. Whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. Some kind of person or thing from the afterlife. So yeah, I kind of became um, an, evangelist. an evangelist for all that jazz. Um, and, uh, and then I, I hadn't actually watched it again uh, until pretty recently. And it was when I, I told you, or I told you guys just to, bit ago that we showed it at the library we did that last month we showed it for our cinema club that time around i was seeing if more viewings lent more Mm -hmm. discoveries and it certainly did so my appreciation of it only grew the second time i saw it i think that's it as far as my my history of it i was excited to watch it again even though i had just watched it a few weeks ago sure so i don't know if you want to talk about any of your apprehensions beforehand or you know oh uh, sure what you, yeah what you were well, thinking I mean, beforehand i kind
1: of referenced him I, I it was more ignorance um like i said i i knew bob Fosse was a choreographer i knew vaguely about like this the Fosse style so there was just a lot of ignorance about that and like i said i genuinely think that there was a time where i thought all that jazz was a Sequel to Cabaret mm-hmm. or something because yeah, Chicago like the, the, it's just it's going to be a, that sort of thing, that right. sort of cabaret like ladies in black bras and mm-hmm. underwear dancing. Yeah, like that's okay. I get it, Bob Fosse. Yeah, that's I what wouldn't you do. even.
0: I couldn't have even told you it was set in the present day. like no. like that no. present no. day. I would have yeah.
1: thought it was like. Jazz yes. age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I didn't know anything about it. Um, and what I didn't know, I didn't think was appealing to me. Like what I thought I knew about it, I was like, that doesn't sound. And then <laughs> um, in prep for some of my philosophy and film classes, like editing videos or certain things they that, that they would use clips from all that jazz. And I didn't know it was all that jazz because I knew enough about Bob Fosse to know. Roy Scheider looked like Bob Fos- Bob Fosse in that. So I was like, oh, you know, maybe there's a Bob Fosse movie I don't know about. <laughs> and, um, and then once I realized it was all that jazz, I was like, oh, I guess I don't really know what that movie's about. Right. Um, and then you told me, apparently five years ago, how much you liked this movie. I think it was even after we recorded one time. You were like, oh, hey, I just watched all that jazz and it was really good. I was like, all right, well, I'll move it higher up my list. A little list, bit, little but bit yeah. not at all. I So... I'll say how I felt after watching it. I only watched it yesterday. And like you said, it's kind of a one that sits with you and you mull over. And so I'm definitely in that state right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, I'm going to say it's a four-star movie for me. Okay. I know how these conversations go. And I know you'll probably be able to move me up. because Maybe not. Maybe not. But I, I feel like the things that are holding me back are things that I'm like, I'm just trying to piece together, okay. not things that I actively disliked about. Okay, it.
0: there are there, I can name at least one or two things that I do actively dislike about this movie, but they're not enough still at the totally mm-hmm. for me to be like, but God, I just love it. I I'll love this say, movie. I'll you say know?
1: for the most part, I I don't seem to have been as taken by the experience of it yeah. as you were, mm-hmm. um, but I definitely was at times taken with the experience of it. Like I enjoyed it a lot. I'm really interested to kind of dig into it, because as I was watching, I'm like, there's so much happening. Yes. Visually, metaphorically, orally, like, I had no idea about the fantasy, surreal sort of stuff. I had no idea uh, that it was autobiographical, and it turns out, like, pretty autobiographical. Yeah, yeah.
0: I had found out that part in prep for our movie club at the library. Like, I didn't even... Even though I loved all that jazz the first time I watched it, I obviously didn't love it enough to dig dig into into Bob Fosse. Right. To me, the movie was the movie. And I was like, I'm just cool with seeing Roy Scheider be Joe Gideon. And that's just that. And it's a statement on art and life. And that's that. Right. And then because Bob Fosse himself kept denying that it was so much about him. But then the more I read up on it and I was like, Oh, that's just him being coy because come on, you know, like almost everything in here can draw. Every character goes to someone specific. Yeah. Every piece that he's working on is like a specific piece that he did. Um, Yeah. yeah. And I was was like, all right. Well, I
1: was reading in uh, my research on, uh, IMDb trivia. (laughs) Oh, um, Anne Ring King basically played herself. Hers, and she still had to try out
0: for it. Right. But yeah,
1: she was playing her herself. Bob Fossey's girlfriend. girlfriend.
0: Yeah. You could go down the line. Well, I'm I will say that I, I'm I'm kind of breathing a little sigh of relief. <laughs> Even though our listeners may not, because right. we, we kept thinking, you know, we thought maybe this will be a classic, can we still be friends? We're gonna fight. I did not expect you to like this movie. Why is that? It seems like a movie you would not have the patience for. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Okay, so you ha- you had a very negative reaction to a movie like Birdman,
1: right? Which um, I was gonna say, strong
0: comparison. Of course, of course. Um. Birdman actually I had seen Birdman before I saw all that jazz. Yeah. And when I saw all that jazz, I was like, yeah, Birdman's not that great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh and then we did our episode on Birdman after I I think after I saw that jazz and I was little, I was a little bit more tepid on it, you know. Yeah but um
1: But you you actually made me want to watch Birdman again, which I, I still, never thought was gonna be. I still be like this
0: movie. I, I I also just find that when you start talking about movies about show business. There's just when sort of when I start talking. Yes, about them? when you Ryan, okay. when we start talking in in conversation between the two of us about movies about show business, I feel like you're kind of starting off on a you're going to have to prove it to me kind of thing with those movies. Like, and I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but you always like to bring up the fact that like the the Academy loves to pat itself on the back yeah. and always loves showbiz movies, and that I think that you see a lot of showbiz movies as like naval gazing dressed up as art you know yeah um and i was like oh this could you could definitely watch all that jazz and that could be your one
1: sentence summary well that seems to (laughs) be what a lot of the critics at the time thought
0: and i also don't think you have a whole lot of patience and especially uh as we've sort of i guess matured as men like Mm Neither one of us, I don't think, have oh. a whole lot of patience for egomaniacal white males. Right. You know, like that is Bob Fosse. Yeah. You know, so all these things were adding up in my mind. And I was like, I'm going to have to make a really <laughs> good case for this movie to Ryan. I just don't see him liking this movie at all. Yeah, you know? <laughs> no, and I,
1: I I see that stuff present, but I also feel like this movie is aware of that mindset, of yes. my mindset, of that impatience with this, and almost circles back on itself it goes past the tipping point where it actually does become reflective. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I also think it does it in such a way you could miss it. Like yeah. you could be taken with or distracted by or irritated with certain parts of it that the the depth that it's plumbing isn't apparent. And that's not to say like I'm smart enough as a viewer to get that, but like No. But I get what you mean. <clears throat>
0: Partly because I think Fosse sees himself as just a showbiz guy. Right. So it doesn't matter how deep he wants to get. He's going to make sure that the audience is entertained at the very least and that they're having fun. It's almost like we're not used to a movie that will take these pretty heavy themes, which can seem super self-indulgent and really annoying, when someone's almost being too earnest about it but there's this really interesting and unique balance in this movie mm-hmm. where he actually i think gets so introspective um, that it's painful at times to watch i mean you're yeah. literally seeing his chest broken open oh my gosh, <laughs> seeing open heart surgery right um it doesn't get any more heavy-handed than right. that um but you know it's got that levity and that that sort of sense of humor about itself. Yeah.
1: That almost is like it, it's showbiz still. Uh, yeah. What showbizness is, is a mindset. So, What's interesting then is that there are like several microcosms, like several places I could I feel like I could point to and be like, that encapsulates what this movie is mm-hmm. doing. One of which is the final scene. Yeah. Which is this very long, to some people, overlong farewell to life. Where he gets, you know, all these people who he has wronged, tearfully hugging him and just mm-hmm. joyfully, you know, whatever, um, come down to the silence of his body getting zipped up, and then Ethel Merman singing, "There's no business like show business." <laughs> well, it's almost like a Looney Tunes. I mean, that's the song, yeah. But like, it it reminds me of like, that's all, folks, right? You know, yeah. like, uh, and but like with the complete antithesis of fanfare of being zipped up in a body mm-hmm. back, Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Like, if there's ever been a more ironic use of there's no business like show business, I don't know. Yeah, where it is. There's
0: no business like show business like no business
1: i know everything about it is almost
0: amazing. like isn't this all pretty meaningless but right. did, but didn't you have a good time but then
1: also like well what is a good time yeah
0: <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> right <laughs> and and going back to your idea of like you know little lines that kind of encapsulate the entire movie the one that really sticks out to me is when he says you have a hard time um knowing where the bullshit ends and the reality begins
1: Well, that's it, huh? We're finished. I don't know. How do you feel about me? I love you. Then I guess we're not finished. (laughs) Because I really do love you, Katie.
0: You mean that?
1: Ah, hell no. I was pissed off at her. I don't know. Yeah, I did mean it. Sort of. Sometimes I don't know where the bullshit ends and the truth begins. I I, I just wanted to say something nice to him. Why? (laughs) In case. uh... In case.
0: When your life is all about entertainment, when you're not actually on the stage, how much of your life do you give over to that entertainment? Mm Mm-hmm. He's talking about the way he deals with women, where it's basically like he doesn't even know when he's being honest anymore. Right. You know? Um, right. so there you have a microcosm within a microcosm. Like that right. one line to me tells me so much about the movie. Yeah. But it also tells me it in different ways. Right. Like it's not just about Showbiz as a life, it's also about Bob Fosse and the way he sees himself. Right. Um, and and that level of introspection, I just think is impressive. We can talk about where he's pulling a few punches maybe or like where he's not completely being honest with maybe the the impact or his uh, his personality has on people but there's at least an awareness that he knows how to cause harm to people Mm -hmm. uh, and that he does that and also there's an awareness that to him show business is his life yeah like there is no life outside of that and That's actually where I think knowing a little bit about Bob Fosse helps a little bit. When you realize this is a guy who was in show business since he was like 13. Right. Bob Fosse doesn't know anything other than show business. And so to me it's also a study on what that does to a person. Right. Like what does it do to a person when they don't know a life outside of entertainment, right. you know.
1: Yeah, it's it's a movie obviously about Bob Fosse and it's the ego the ego is there fully. So it's about creators, it's about performers, it's about audiences, it's about business. It's a defense of art, it's a breaking down of the the illusion of art, yeah the way that he portrays the creative process, it's not an inviting one. It's almost <laughs> yeah. like you think this stuff just happens, not at all, like yeah. just the the opening casting scene, oh, which is awesome, such a good, scene. but just like you see a show and it's got twelve people in mm-hmm. it, you do not see the hundred and twenty people who are torn up about not being in that. Mm -hmm. You do not see all the arbitrary decisions that went into it. Not everybody in that is the best person for that role, necessarily. This is not a meritocracy (laughs) any more than anything. Yes. Like, the people who are in there, maybe the director was sexually attracted to them, and that's Mm -hmm. the only reason they're in this. Yeah. So any idea that there's this purity to art, that's gone. But any idea that there's only business, that's gone. Any idea that this is a fulfilling business... That's gone. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like you talked about those moments of reflection where he realizes he's hurting people. He only ever cares when it helps him to care. Right. And you've got those moments like early on where he just breaks a promise to his 12-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. and he's walking out the door, and he stops, and he's like, oh, great great fathering or something. And I expected him to go back and be like, you know what, honey, let's go. But he was just like, nope, <laughs> I, have to, I have to work. I gotta go. I'm yeah. not gonna keep that promise yeah. to
0: my daughter. And even when he does hurt somebody he's almost like trying to figure out how he can use that there's the scene with Anne Ranking where her line is uh, I wish you weren't so generous with your cock yeah. uh, and, and then he just goes oh I i could use that she's yeah. heartbroken you know yeah. so um well and then and then just but you're if you look at it at the lens of like this is fossey telling his own life like he's he is aware yeah. and he's, he's aware that he, and has he did hurt use that line and he did <laughs> use <laughs> that line <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and and then another scene between the those two characters um where he says i think you should go do it or something and she's like read it again and he says it a different way like they literally are acting mm-hmm. and, those are kind of two sad
0: instances of that happening, but where it actually kind of becomes a beautiful thing is when she does the dance with his daughter to um, everything old is new again. And that is two people doing an act, but it's just for him. And it's, this is the stuff of life right here. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is just a beautiful sort of, kind of family moment it's not like it's a right. traditional family but it's a it's a moment where even you see Gideon's face Yeah, and he starts out kind of being like what's this what is, what is yeah. this and then he ends up just sort of becoming I think moved by it a little yeah. bit and, and just sort of seeing like this is the stuff of life too but it's in this movie wrapped up in Pretty pictures. a musical act right. you know
1: That scene and a couple other scenes, the scene where Leland Palmer dances, which I really want to talk about. Oh, yeah. Of all the dancing that's in this movie, those were the two scenes where I was like, wow, good dance is incredible. I don't remember feeling that in any of the dances that Joe choreographed. I and mean, I think that's kind of fascinating that like Katie dancing a song that she choreographed and Audrey dancing a scene she's choreographing in the moment are uh-huh. like the instances where I as an audience was like, wow, that is incredible dancing. And the scenes that Joe Gideon does choreograph, it's impressive, yeah. but I'm not like marveling at the yeah. ability of dancers. I think the filmmaking is yes. helping you do that right. because those scenes are also so Long unbroken. takes, yeah.
0: Whereas the scenes that he's choreographing- they might be equally impressive. I don't know dance that yeah, well. Yeah, I don't either. In fact, I kind of have to take uh, Audrey's word for it in that scene yeah. where she says, this is the best work you've ever done. And <laughs> you <laughs> son of a bitch. bitch. And cries. So, I mean, I'm kind of like, it must be. I mean, I do think that scene is great, but I actually think what's great about it is the filmmaking in that. Yes, you know? I agree. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and the same thing with- But that's um, what's interesting. Because those yeah.
1: scenes were supposed to be impressed with Joe's ability yeah. to choreograph, not the dancer's ability to pull it off. Right. So Fosse- shoots it and edits it in a way that we're impressed with the craft of it and not the ability of the individual dancers. He just does such a good job of directing our attention. In a movie that is so scattered, he really keeps the focus clear. And we'll keep coming back to this idea of layers, but like, you could just focus on one aspect of it and start breaking it down. And that would be enough to like really have a long conversation about mm-hmm. like the idea that joe is a choreographer and what that means for somebody's ability to control the world around them while realizing that bob Fosse is not just the director but the choreographer of this movie and that the people in his life are there because he has choreographed them and just the idea of control mm-hmm. in this movie and choreography and how you can control because another thing that the scene with Katie and um, his daughter dancing, it's interesting that it's the first dance number after the super erotic... Take off with me, yeah. Beyond boundary pushing.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's... Just indecent, really. It's absurd, but it's supposed to be in the movie. Right, right. Yeah.
1: Coupled with this pure moment... Very tender, yeah. ...of his girlfriend and his daughter, like, doing this dance. Like, there's that comparison to make. But then also, I was struck by the comparison of Joe... Dancing with his daughter versus Katie dancing with his daughter because Joe is interrupting the conversation and telling her very clearly what to do. Yeah. Directing her and controlling her. No, come on. You wouldn't mind. You try this. Yeah, just stand over there and then jump above my shoulder. Oh, God, you're getting heavy. All right, put your leg in an arabesque. Here we are. How are things at home?
0: They're pretty good. Oh,
1: all right, all right. Watch your back now. Anything you want to tell me?
0: Well, I promised Mom I wouldn't bring it
1: up. But you're gonna bring it up anyway. <laughs> sit down, Michelle. You can tell me anything. You know that. Give me a rest. Ready? Jump. Ah. It's just that I keep wondering, Dad. Bend What is it you keep wondering? And then Katie is also dictating the dance. But the way she's doing it is very encouraging. She's in the dance with her. And Katie is a partner and a and a and a guide, whereas Joe is a, a dictator, right. basically. Mm-hmm. And um, and he wants, I mean, and that's another thing the movie touches on is
0: he kind of, he wants to be God or at least wants to be as good of a creator as God is, you know, mm-hmm. when he talks about the rose kind of resents God for, for that. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why can't I do that? Yeah. You know, how did you do that? And why, hell, why the hell can't I do that? Right. And I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and watch it, but I'm pretty sure that's immediately followed by another scene of him cutting the movie.
1: It's the only scene of the movie we yes, see. Him we're talking
0: about the stages of death of his movie, the stand up. I don't know why, but because that was juxtaposed with him just talking about God and the creator and kind of resenting that, I pictured the producer being like God and mm-hmm. saying, You can't keep doing this, Joe. You're going to run your life out, basically. The
1: budget. Oh, Joey, God made the entire
0: world in six days. He didn't go on overtime once. You can't even cut an
1: hour and a half movie in seven months on triple time.
0: Joey, I hate to do
1: this. Uh, I'm usually a very calm man, but this whole thing has got me terribly crazy. I must put my foot down. Joey, the whole thing has got to stop. It has to stop. It's got to stop. It just simply must stop. Josh, I made a few changes in the monologue. I think you'll like it. I have to go to rehearsal.
0: At those prices, man, who I'll can afford to live? I'll see so
1: you 5.30, I saw you,
0: So,
1: I accept!
0: Oh my God! It is better. God. Wait, wait he watches the movie and 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 the God character, the producer says, "Damn, it's better. It is better. <laughs> it yeah. is better." And that to me was such a metaphor too of of Fosse as being this guy who is like confronting God, saying, "Yeah, I'm living recklessly. I'm living in a way that's not going to be good for my life."
1: But, but I am creating, but I am
0: creating, and I am doing a hell of a job doing it. Yeah. You know, and you cannot deny that I am making great art. And those here, are the, you know? those
1: are the scenes that are the self congratulatory ones that yeah. I think could really throw people or just turn people away from this movie, and understandably so. Sure,
0: I get that. But but where I would like to maybe point out where there might be a little bit more being said about that, even is in the motif of the the loop, basically that goes through the movie.
1: Yeah,
0: the the it's Showtime, folks. Right. You got the Vivaldi, the Speed, Mm -hmm. the Alcacetzer, you know, he's in the shower the first time with a cigarette in his mouth. And yeah, the thing is, the first time you see that, and even the second or third time, it's kind of funny. Right. As the movie goes on, it's just not funny anymore.
1: No. It's just
0: super sad. Am I right
1: that you visually see him looking worse and worse? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And
0: And then the last time he does it, he actually like goes into a coughing fit you're you're definitely seeing the cost to it. And I guess you're right though. So it, where people could be really turned off by this movie is if they do see it as super self-congratulatory. I do think that's a fair way to see it in a way.
1: Those yeah, it's in there.
0: But I almost have to give it a pass because it really is pretty brilliant. You know, like mm. it'd be one thing if it wasn't he's <laughs> being self-congratulatory. Is he wrong?
1: Yeah, you tell right. me. You,
0: yeah, you tell me. I am you know? being
1: self-congratulatory. <laughs> tell me I shouldn't be. Right, right.
0: And this is where I made this comparison in my in my film club at the library. Nobody else. I just got blank stares when I did this, and I wondered: <clears throat> Is Fosse in '79 kind of our in the '2000s? Kanye. I
1: was actually. Uh, oh my gosh! And
0: is this is all that jazz? My beautiful dark twisted fantasy. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, like Kanye does the same thing. He's got the ego. Yeah, everyone, a lot of people hate him for it. Yeah, self-congratulatory in his own lyrics. Yeah, but when you dig a little bit deeper, they're kind of sad. He will gloat in one second about the lifestyle, right. and in the next second, will tell you all the consequences of right. the
1: lifestyle, or tell you in veiled terms that he's contemplating yeah. suicide.
0: And then, but he'll
1: constantly tell you how much of a genius he
0: is. Uh-huh. And at the end of the day, is he wrong?
1: Right. He is if you've
0: listened to (laughs) Yay. Right, yeah. That album's. I'm almost. I'm almost solely talking
1: about My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy because that one I think think does deal with My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and all that jazz is a really great comparison.
0: Which also had a lot of fantastical elements to it. A lot of reflecting on you know life and death. Death, Yeah. Um, and also was just sort of fantasizing his own day, yeah, fantasies and, and and also just a ton of fun, yeah. You know, and I don't think it's that far of a stretch in the way that Fosse really was pretty influential too. I mean, this is this is the birth of like hip hop dance. Whether you want to talk about Chicago or even in all that jazz, jazz, these moves ended up influencing Michael Jackson's dance moves mm-hmm. and Paula Abdul's dance moves, mm-hmm. and then eventually even Beyonce and single ladies. The way that we look at hip hop dance. Uh, is Fosse. Got it to start, yeah. So I think we almost do have to talk about, especially if we're going to say this movie is self-congratulatory, like how brilliant really is Bob Fosse. I don't know because I'm not a dance guy. So I threw this out to my sister because she actually is a choreographer for the Indianapolis Colts. And I'll I'll just kind of read you what she said, basically saying uh, he didn't invent jazz hands. But he sort of popularized them mm-hmm. the idea of jazz hands, and I always thought jazz hands was just like a really stupid like jazz hands everyone,
1: but it's just about like having energy with your entire body, right like
0: no it's a it's literally keeping your hands palm out.
1: oh, always
0: uh that's like your natural pose oh. and this is new to me. this is my sister was educating me on this, mm-hmm. so um that she said that alone makes him epic. I mean, that's a term we use, jazz hands, is a term we use daily in dance world. It went against a typical, quote, ballet hand that has a much more graceful look to a big outstretched hand, uh, which seems minor, but changes the look of essentially every move you could do.
1: So he changed the game.
0: Yeah, he really did. So does a self-congratulation earned? (laughs) Is it earned? (laughs) Yeah,
1: not many people literally change the game. Yeah, you can at least see where the ego is coming from. I think, though, even without that, that and that's, that's a really vital insight. I think, even without that, the movie's got moments of real honesty that show that self congratulation is a choice, too. You understand that everything he does is conscious. Mm-hmm. Every time he hurts somebody, he's making that choice to do so. That, like, there's a bigger performance here that's going on, and I can recognize when the performance is bullshit and when it's not. Mm-hmm. And when I need to keep bullshitting or when I can get away with being honest. yeah. And uh, it makes him a much less sympathetic character oh, to sure. know that every time he hurts somebody, he's doing it on purpose. Yep, yep. And he knows the game. You know, like he tells
0: the angel of death or whatever you want to call Jessica Lang's character, he just mm-hmm. says, don't bullshit a bullshitter. And that's also where you see the, the really sad game of, you know, using these women, but still because he is driving them and he is making them better they still end up appreciating him even though they are even aware <laughs> of his manipulation his games and ultimately that sometimes he may just be wanting to right. get them get in bed with them you which, know
1: which you could you could add it, to the file of self congratulation. exactly of like exactly sure i mistreated them but now they're better yes. dancers
0: now there's another layer though mm-hmm. on top of all that as far as the self-congratulatory thing goes where this is all undergirded by a showing in the movie of just deep insecurity. Yeah. He's an insecure person. And mm-hmm. all that confidence is bullshit. Mm-hmm. It even gets a little, I don't know if you call it Freudian, or he goes into the psychiat—the psychology of like his growing up and right. being sort of a, around these burlesque women. and right. And the, that's sort of his introduction to sex and relationships with women at that right. level. You know, so he's got these sort of like embarrassing memories that he carries with him. Yeah. But also, like you see later on, how much he actually cares about what the critics think of right. his movie, mm-hmm. and that that one negative critic, uh, which again has a direct correlation to real life, that was uh, if I read it, read it correctly, Pauline Kael's review of Lenny, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that it cuts to him so deeply. This is a guy who, even though he at times will give off to people that he thinks he's a genius, yeah. he is super insecure about Still himself. Still fighting it, yeah. yeah. And again then you think about this is fossey directing his own story so he's talking about that weakness within himself
1: well and so i think if if i had to boil down what this movie's about it's about control because death yeah. is the ultimate loss of control mm. and you can't choreograph your own death he tries even though he does bob <laughs> Fosse does yeah <laughs> and he does it in a very like polished way so In reading, like people talked about him smoking too much, drinking too much. It's kind of a life spiraling out of control. And I feel like you can't say that. I feel like the smoking, drinking, amphetamine use is calculated. Mm -hmm. It's as calculated as anything else. And it is somebody who, one, is doing something that they feel like they need to do in order to maintain control over all these aspects. Because if it wasn't for amphetamines every morning, he would be exhausted. Mm -hmm. And also somebody truly believing that they do have control over everything. And his most like frustrated sort of moments are moments where people buck his control. One being the scene with Audrey who keeps dancing as he's trying to have a conversation about something and she's not necessarily joining in. And she also nails him. Like, oh yeah. She
0: knows him better right. than he wants to admit.
1: Right. But I want to talk if you would like to about that scene with Audrey. Sure. Sure. It's so poignant, a metaphor, for her to be dancing, not his choreography, responding to questions she wants to respond to, talking about what she wants to. He's getting increasingly frustrated. He's increasingly uh, doubting himself. And then the fact that she keeps saying, keep playing, Paul. Like that piano player wants to leave. He feels like, I shouldn't be here. Nobody should be watching this. But that she says, keep playing, One, so that she can kind of have some autonomy and like the music is what she is dancing Mm -hmm. to. That's her own volition. So keep playing because I'm going to keep doing this, but also keep the audience in the room. Keep watching this. And like, this is not going to be backstage. If everything's going to be a performance for you, you can't choose when the audience is there. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah.
0: You kept me working all the time. I never had a chance to cheat.
1: What is this big hang up you've got about fidelity? What makes you think that being faithful is the greatest friggin' virtue in the world? Excuse me. Well, it is a great deal better than those meaningless affairs you keep tap dancing through. Those Staces, those Victoria's. You're not even fooling Michelle with Victoria, you know. Straighten that leg. It is as straight as it's ever going to get. Oh, the bonnies. I don't know. It just felt like that scene, I should watch it like 15 more times just to like take in every possible thing. Like when she climbs the ladder, what does that mean? When they're in the frame together, like just, it just felt like such a rich. Well, and, and I, you're right. So what does he do to try to control
0: it? Because it's the same song that that's take off with me mm-hmm. that's the song that's the song he ends up turning into the erotica sequence, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's almost like he kind of gives her that one yeah. and says, "All right, you win this round mm-hmm. and then he has he cannot help but have the last word. And, and then what he ends up doing is uh, taking the song, which neither one of them really liked. I don't know right. if you remember right. when the Paul guy does it. And oh, it's, yeah. it's a pretty great scene it. because it's pretty funny. Like mm-hmm. it's such almost like cheesy vaudeville ish musical, yeah. you know, take off with us. And, and of course, the producers love it. It's yeah. pretty great, right. you know. And they're kind of laughing and they're saying, oh, this is, <clears throat> we're going to have to really fix this up, you know. And so her way of fixing it up is not really to change the song all that much, but just kind of wow them with her dance. Right. And his way of fixing it up is. Not only to do the same thing through choreography in the group, but to kind of also cut her out of it. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. I think that control aspect is through this movie. I mean, that's just an, you're talking about that one scene, but then that scene carries over yeah. into this other scene. And then you as the audience, you're kind of equally blown away by both, but in very different ways. Right. And I think what's, what shows the more, there's more truth and beauty in her performance because it's just right her. Yeah. It's just her and her mastery. Right. And her, you know, life dedicated to this dance. Yeah. You know.
1: But not only so not only that one upmanship, but there's also an element of abusiveness to it mm-hmm. by raising the stakes of it, by not just cutting her out of it, but saying, if you want to be a part of it, here's, here's what, what you're, you're gonna, gonna have to, have to do. be willing yeah. to do. And especially
0: when you're dealing with her vulnerability about being older. Right. And it's almost like he's saying, can your
1: body even handle that? Right. Like you've seen this younger woman do this scene naked. Would you be comfortable now? Okay. What if I gave you her part? (laughs) Exactly. That's like super abusive. Of course. Yeah.
0: Okay. So now I think uh, we've, we've, we've tackled thematically some, a fraction of the things in this (laughs) movie, but I would like to just, at least for a bit, uh, talk about some of the technical things as well. So, uh, I mean, I think we have to talk about mm-hmm. the editing in this oh, yeah. movie. Uh, I think from, I go back and I remember in our JFK episode, we said something like they should just show this movie as like a master class in editing. And I think that's still true. Yeah. You, you got to show it with kind all of that editing, jazz. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, because, uh, well, a couple different reasons. Uh, we'll, we'll get to maybe some of the more like interesting things they're doing with time and editing in here. Yeah. But, even if you just take that first sequence, the on-Broadway sequence, the casting call, yes, yeah. is so good. And um, if you get the Criterion edition of All That Jazz, you got a great interview on there with Alan Heim, who's the editor, and, and was Fosse's kind of go-to editor. He edited, edited Cabaret, edited Lenny. Um, edited Network. Yes, he did. Yeah. And Paddy Chayefsky was, was like Fosse's best friend. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. So it's like a really interesting, hmm. close-knit group there. But anyways, um, he talks about editing that sequence and, um, he gives a lot of credit to Fosse as far as having so much of the vision of that sequence, but I have to be reminded and, 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 and there was a different person and a different supplemental feature that reminded me like, this is essentially like the original music video. Remember this is pre MTV. Yeah. So much of what they cut for that opening scene were tricks that would eventually be used in music videos and Fossey just had this idea, like he he basically treated it like a documentary. Like they just did a casting call. Roy Scheider had been spending a lot of time prepping about how to act like Fossey. Yeah. And then he wore an earpiece, right? And they basically just did the casting call a couple times, you know, but to get coverage. But like you know, Scheider would just take cues from Fossey about kind of maybe what to say or what to do with his body through the earpiece. Yeah. And then they just had to cut this thing, and they didn't even have on Broadway like that song. In mind at the time when they filmed oh, really? it, um, and then they've they've settled on the song, but the thing is Heim said, like they never even cut it to that song. He said all they did was they found a rhythm in editing hmm. and they just stuck to that rhythm, but so many of those cuts, for instance, like the twirling scene yeah, where right, it just yeah, right. those were all fossy ideas, hmm. and then they had to cut it to the rhythm
1: and it's interesting that scene how it is shot in some ways documentary style. Like you've just got this mass of people on the mm-hmm. stage and we're just shooting from back of the theater. But then there are in there just individual shots that are never yes. repeated. But I remember there was one where the camera is suddenly low and facing the audience rather than the, the stage. Yeah. And it just follows a dancer's foot as, it, as they like drag it. And I, I like audibly gasped yeah. like just at how fascinating... Yeah. That shot was right. as a choice. And so. then how brilliant it was in execution. Uh-huh. What a unique way to shoot that scene. But what I really
0: found fascinating, I'll never forget the scene where you can definitely tell that the dude is not good right. within the crowd. It never zooms in on him, it never feels the need to. It lets you it has enough faith in its audience mm-hmm. that you will see this guy and realize, oh, he's not gonna cut it. And yeah. it's kind of funny. You know, yeah. there's a little bit of comedy in there, and the levity of the song helps with that mm-hmm. as well. And then I just love how as you keep watching it, you see the skill rise. Right. Like you actually see, oh, these are the good dancers. It's, and the and it's and it's not <clears throat> it's it's obviously in the way the dancers are dancing and the routines are getting tougher too. But I think also it's just the cutting's getting a little faster.
1: It's again directing our attention in a way that we as people who have no idea about dance start to pick up pick on up, yeah. what we're supposed to be picking up on. And it's also a tremendously unique perspective of kind of how the sausage gets made.
0: I think you also understand in that moment why you have to be someone kind of like Joe Gideon to do that. Like you have to have someone who just kind of gets up and struts and says, like, I know what's best Mm -hmm. because you know, you're going to have to let down so many people and you're Mm -hmm. probably going to let down a lot of people that could have done an equally great job. And if you
1: start questioning all those choices whatever, you're not going to be decisive. Yeah. And, I I don't know if David Fincher is unique to this point of view, but he says he uses the first scene of a movie to teach the audience how to watch the rest Mm, of the movie. Yeah. Now, it's not the very first thing we see, but it is kind of the first scene. Yeah. And I think it's doing a lot to teach us how to watch the movie, not the least of which is to bob fossey exerting control over us and mm-hmm. saying this isn't going to make sense sometimes but trust me well and even I'm if you gonna take you through it
0: right and if you do pull out and look at the first few scenes you get established right away the stuff that doesn't make sense yeah you get the loop with the cassette with vivaldi yeah. and voila by the way inspiration for requiem for that's a dream. what i was just gonna say yeah
1: yeah um, i was like so there's another darian aronofsky yeah. absolutely <laughs> seen right. all that jazz. <laughs> to be on the wire is life the rest is waiting that's very theatrical, Joe. Yeah, I know. Did you make it up? I wish I had. Do you like it? Well, it's all right. It's showtime, folks.
0: But then it goes to the high wire scene, so you've already got this sort of fantastical element. You don't mm-hmm. really know why, uh, because that's the one with Jessica Lang's already made her appearance yeah. there. And that's before... The theater we stuff even him. starts yes but it's all within like the first five minutes so yeah. you know yeah you're really getting this sense of the movie right away
1: so we're getting that idea we're also getting the idea that this is going to be large in scope and extremely mm, yeah. specific in scope also get joe gideon's just a very clear sense of joe gideon in that scene not only in the way that he's cutting people the way he's directing people the way he's very hands-on whatever but also just the fact that i know what women i want i'll tell the men in a few days like okay this is a guy who is sex is very much a part of how he thinks he has very clear designs for the women in his life and in his work And men are a part of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. A necessary evil. And maybe that's even an exertion of control. He knows how to say to women, I want you, I want you, I want you. Men, he has to say, "Ah, I'll let you know. His charm works on women. And his aloof control, he figures out a way to get it to work on men. Right.
0: And I also think that the movie does a really good job of showing right away uh, the, the dynamics of the business so you've got the producers and the yeah. people that just sit bored basically in the theater and so that's just one scene that we could dissect basically yeah. but the editing is all over this movie oh, yeah. as far as like in fact uh, alan heim he basically coined this term Fossy time in the interview he talks about how they kind of established this uh this method of editing when they made lenny but it was more of a saving thing where they realized that um He's not too flattering of Dustin Hoffman, but he basically oh, really? says Hoffman's like performance as Lenny Bruce didn't have the like bite or the edge that Lenny Bruce actually had because Dustin Hoffman's too likable as a person or as an actor. He wants yeah. everyone to like him. So he's like, it wasn't working. And them and Fossey, they're just trying to figure out how to save this movie. Interesting, because that's what's happening in all that yeah, jazz is they're yeah. trying to figure out how to cut this thing to work. That's how they came up with this idea of like, well, let's just intercut Other scenes from before in the middle of this, and that'll be jarring enough to create the edge that we need. Interesting, and also bring context to what he's saying that his delivery isn't bringing by itself. And so they kind of invented this whole method. And Fossey knew when he wrote all that jazz and produced it that this was how they were going to edit the movie. So he kind of elaborated on this idea of Fossey time as a continually unfolding present time, an eternal now, so that even when you're looking at stuff that maybe happened before or is in some kind of fantasy realm, it all feels like it's happening right now.
1: Yeah. You know. And the line between fantasy and reality gets very blurred following his heart surge. Yeah. And I, I kept asking Kelsey, like, is this part real? I think it is because it's not in that very clearly fantasy part. But can we trust it? Which going back to the control thing...
0: When you're in the hospital, you don't have any control. And so is this just his way of a saying, no, I can still do what I want here. Right.
1: In reality, did did he actually do that to exert his control? Or was he making that up to deny the fact that the doctor was telling him what you've been doing is not sustainable. You cannot do this anymore. And that like the only friend he can find is uh, basically like an orderly in – a closed-off part of the hospital.
0: Right, you're talking about when they the there's the the African American kind of janitor who's doing the show tunes with him. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what to make of that scene. I don't. That's either. one that I didn't. Fantasy like, or not, I don't know how to. I didn't it's, really it's, like it. It's it got, it got felt, a minstrel-y yes, kind of feel to yes. it,
1: and like a celebration. I told, there, I told you there were. I told you there were
0: two scenes that I flat out do not like in this movie. That's one of them. Yeah. The other one is, um, fantasy or not, I'm not finding the nurse stuff funny. And I no, think, and I think no. he wants it. I think Fosse director is trying to play that for laughs. Right. That's not one of those areas of Joe Gideon thinking it's funny, but we're not supposed to yeah, think the, it's funny. It's I think this funny. is where it's the a, he wants the audience a to laugh. I mean, I, it's not surprising that Joe Gideon would do that. No. It's the, the level. Uh, the yeah, the level <laughs> of just um. Oh, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I, I just don't find that honest. No. Why would these nurses? have the same level of regard for Joe Gideon as people who are in the industry. Right. Because the doctor certainly doesn't. No. That yeah, that scene and then the 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 singing and dancing, or not dancing, but the singing of that janitor. Um I, I don't get it.
1: Right. Because the songs he's singing are like
0: minstrel songs. Like yes old. And even on further watch, I, I was originally a little Put off by the performance of the O'Connor Flood character, the sort of like Sammy Davis Jr. telethon. Ben Vereen, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, played by played by Ben Vereen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's because it's kind of similar, I think. There, because of the context of it being that fantasy sequence, and also with it being uh, a cheesy telethon, right? Um, two things are happening there. One of which is, I think, that he's kind of showing the more mediocre and more sort of like lowbrow element of entertainment. And also, I do think there's a racial awareness there because, right. I, because they, he talks about how this cat was on the bus with me right. to Selma. And I think that in yep. that scene where, Gide- where Gideon is really trying to justify his life, mm-hmm. he's grasping at straws trying to figure out any way to kind of say he was a good person. Right. And he's almost using this character, this yeah. black character, uh, to say, hey, hey, man, I was with you at Selma. right?"
1: right? And, yeah, and, and I but, agree.
0: This is the man who will be my first choice as a modern-day
1: saint. When I was in those marches, like Selma, this brother was shuffling right alongside me long before those other cats who thought the Silver rights was a hip scene and jumped on the black wagon. <laughs> the black wagon!
0: <laughs> oh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, let me lay on you.
1: A great entertainer. A great entertainer. Great humanitarian. A great... Humanitarian, my dearest and my friend. dearest, dearest friend, for 17 years. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it. See how much I learned from you. No, I agree because he had ridiculed that sort of telethon thing yes. before, and then um, he resorts to it in his final grasp at <laughs> uh, redemption. Beanie. Yeah. Ben Vereen played the featured performer in Pippin on Broadway, which Bob Fossey created directed um and so there is like a relationship that they had together i don't know whether it was contentious or anything but like yeah. i don't know if that's part of what they're doing like if if that's if that has any element that they play up this way that like ben vereen always effusively a great humanitarian a great performer yeah. my friend for so many years um And is Bob Fosse saying like Ben Vereen is my friend, and he does know this, or is that like (laughs) Bob Fosse's version of I have a black friend? friend, Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then, like that whole scene, it's really spectacular. It is very long, but it's really sad because he's just frantically imagining and only imagining. Reconciliation with all these people mm-hmm. and congratulations And it is from so clearly a
0: fantasy mm-hmm. in, in that part. The lighting, the set piece, right. the the costumes, the weird array of people in the crowd. Right. You know,
1: and it's just really sad. Yeah, that he he drummed all this up. They need to see my life had meaning. Okay, they did see my life yeah. had meaning. That never happened. You're in a body bag. Yep. Your life maybe didn't have any meaning. And even if it did happen. As great as it is,
0: and I love I love it. I love it for what it is, but what it is is pretty cheap entertainment. Yeah. Your band looks like Kiss. Right. Like right. You've got, you know, the Ben Vereen character just kind of like yucking it up with you right. on right. a stage that's so flashy disco like. Right. Right. And you're two people dressed up like hearts. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I love it. Don't I get do me too. wrong. But I it's, love and it is overlong. I think that's part of it I being overlong. So is almost like this is kind of like Get ge- off the stage. This is like ge- cheesy show business like the filmmaking is making you as an audience entertained by this but mm. the set itself the piece itself yeah. is not that great. He's not even that great of a singer. No.
1: And I think the repeated chorus is really empty. Yeah. Bye bye life, bye bye loneliness. Oh yeah. It sort of says like life has been loneliness. And then so the the title was misleading to me. In that I was like, it's a sequel to Cabaret or a sequel to Chicago. I don't know. There's yeah. something about that. It's not set in the present day. It's like all this stuff. But then when the titular line finally comes and Ben Vereen says it, and we realize that all that jazz is life. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's uh, et cetera. It's right. uh, that other crap. Uh-huh. Like, And what we're referring to is family and friends and career and art and yep. life. yeah. It's like pretty devastating. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you want to get even more meta, this is an Everly Brothers song, Mm -hmm. Bye Bye Love. And the song is a pretty trite love song. And the whole line of Bye Bye Life is this like passing line that's really just sort of about, I'm so heartbroken, I think I'm going to die. Right. Right. And he's taking this like pretty like stupid love line and turning it into like the master thesis of his entire movie, you know? And so that all of a sudden that I think I'm going to die is more literally, I think I'm going to die. Like this is about death. And so what is the love he's talking about? Bye bye love. And when you're on this glitzy, pretty schlocky stage, I think he's saying like my love was this was show business. Right. <laughs> what was it? You mm-hmm. know, this was my love because, this was my life because is the stuff love. that should have yeah. been my love. Uh, I pretty much ran that all into the ground. My mm-hmm. kids, my, the women I was with, my family, mm-hmm. my body, you mm-hmm. know, this was my love. This was my love. This is what it all adds up to. And it's
1: possible know? that that could recontextualize the self congratulation too. that. Anything that we see coming from the perspective of Joe Gideon and perhaps from the perspective of Bob Fosse is a misguided, frantic attempt to salvage something uh whether it's his pride whether it's his self-worth whether it's his love his life like all of that it's just this completely futile effort to say my life mattered mm-hmm. and it's like no it didn't yeah <laughs> and i don't know if it's saying nobody's life matters
0: i think it's questioning if a showbiz mm-hmm. life
1: matters right which is why those those things that you said you were you that I don't have patience for, which I think you're right. I think the fact that this movie ends that way. You know, it doesn't go out on that high. I mean, mm. if if we didn't have the body bag being zipped up and then no business like show business, we would have Birdman flying out the window sure, yeah. rather than falling. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's a very dense movie. Mm-hmm. Way more than I expected it to be. Yeah,
0: and it could have been And I think a lot of people would just see it as a mess. Yeah. But and it could have been a mess. It's a mess. I just happened to completely give myself over to. And I think it's a like Fosse. You're in good hands. Like there's just there's so many technical things that are kind of guiding you through this mess that make it work. You know, it's it's something to just kind of uh, be awed by sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we talked for a long time about this movie, and I feel like we we still sort of. Scratch the surface. Yeah, it we could seems go a lot like deeper. It. If we and I, I feel
1: to. like there's so much more knowledge that somebody could bring to it. But yeah, I really, I really did uh, enjoy talking about it. I, I think it's not a five star movie for me. It didn't. Uh, I, that, while there are times that I really like loved that movie, I don't think it's. It didn't hit me on that level. Yeah, so deeply. But I'm really fascinated by it. It wasn't an easy movie for me to watch, though. And I think. There's a microcosm to that moment where he looks in the camera and says don't you like musical comedy which which to me sort of tells me I wasn't wrong to not want the, the yeah, to yeah. not find it easy well, and to watch Well he even says time. what's the matter you don't
0: so it's almost yeah. like he's acknowledging in that moment he might have lost some of the audience Yeah <laughs> right exactly
1: He's not a he's not a likable character it's not an easy thing to watch him abuse people so right. so so thoroughly and conscientiously
0: did you know that Richard Dreyfuss was originally cast? Yeah,
1: yeah. Could you imagine the movie? As, no, as, I'm like, that, no.
0: That movie would have. No, I'm sorry, that movie would have sucked. Yeah, it
1: would have. <laughs> I sucked. mean, they would have had the same problem that they did with Dustin Hoffman, apparently, and Lenny. Yeah, he's too likable, right? Too, you know, Roy Roy Scheider's. There's just something about him that's a little distant,
0: distant and aloof a little <clears> bit, throat> but throat> but cool.
1: Yeah, it's very cool.
0: Yeah. No one can have a cigarette hanging out his mouth like that.
1: I don't know how he except for Bob Fosse. He also like (laughs) develops the face muscles on that (laughs) side of his mouth. So I. I'm not going to go five, but I'm going to go four and a half. I really do. Okay. I do have a, a, a deeper appreciation for this movie. Um, so I would say we're, we're best buds. I'm not going to quibble over whether or not you should make this a five star No, I, I can't. It just didn't hit me in that five star. That's turn fine.
0: Away. I mean, honestly, I'm just happy we weren't fighting.
1: Well, so we always like, so we talk about classics, Can We Still Be Friends, being a fight one. But part of what started this podcast is the idea that. Talking to each other gives us new insight that Mm -hmm. makes us appreciate something differently. And I think the fact that we've gotten better at that doesn't mean that we've abandoned our original concept. It just means (laughs) that one aspect of our concept became irrelevant because Mm -hmm. the other aspect became more polished. Right,
0: yeah. I'm gonna definitely keep mine at a five star, but I think everyone sure. kind of knew it was gonna happen. So, so let's
1: uh, let's talk about what our next movie yeah, will be. Let's do that.
0: All right. So uh, well, well, first things first, we're gonna do uh, what well, really what we haven't done before. Uh, we really haven't ever taken a break. Yeah. <laughs> we took a little break when you had uh, your your second child. Yeah. So we took like a month off there, but a a time off just to recuperate. Right. And it's summer. I know I'm going to be out of town quite a bit Mm -hmm. the next month, and I'm going there probably. Yeah, you're leaving a lot too. So we just thought it was in the best interest of our listeners Mm -hmm. as far as quality
1: goes. Right. We want to maintain the level of quality. (laughs) Quality.
0: So we're gonna we're gonna take July off, uh, and we hope you don't leave us. Right. We will be back. Yeah. We promise.
1: Maybe maybe find an episode you haven't listened to, or 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 watch a movie of one that you were putting off, or
0: I I would I would love uh, if people do like catch up with old episodes or even just watch movies that we haven't done but they were they caught up with it just let us know what you're watching like is it good like what's a a movie that uh, you know isn't getting the attention it deserves that would be great Uh, because you know we're going to have now so much free time time. next time
1: I mean we're here we need something to watch we're here 10 11 (laughs) hours a day just working on each episode
0: and we've talked about this before that you know we get these vacation days and you use them or you lose them and we're just always losing them we are we're going to enjoy life take the finer Some things. Us time. Some, yes. Apart. Me so time. Me time. Me time. Not us We're time. not, yeah. So me time. Me time. Equals us not together time.
1: Right. So we don't have a movie for July, um, but when we come back, it'll be oh, we August. Got, we got a whopper for we August. We do, we do. We need, we'll probably just be preparing. Yeah, for, that's true. We might not actually August. get us time.
0: <clears throat> we might just be prepping just my whole prep time, time for yeah. prep time for next or for august
1: yeah uh we're gonna be watching spike lee's 1989 masterpiece do the right yes. thing
0: and this i think we're we're going into probably it probably gonna be saying this is a masterpiece so
1: yeah I, we are um so it's not going to be whether or not we like it it's going to be more of a time for me and nate to like sit down and talk about this yes. movie and we've um, talked
0: about it a bit but you so, talk about it all the time I
1: do I teach it in one of my classes and it's a semester class so I watch it at least twice every school year yeah um, I've seen it quite a bit so there's a couple of reasons for watching it one Nate needs to see it more two it takes place in August yeah perfect 1989 so 30 years ago yeah but also I th- I mean with Black Klansmen losing to Green Book at mm. the Oscars this year mm. both of us have seen Green Book <laughs> in the meantime that is not a masterpiece. No. It is a masterpiece of shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, maybe we'll talk about Green Book. Maybe we won't we sully probably, the conversation by no, talking about Green I think you Green said Book.
0: all we need to say about it.
1: But I also, I think people need to remember, because people keep saying, Oh, Spike Lee lost the Best Picture Oscar to another movie about a white person and a black person and driving. I think people need to remember he did not lose the oscar to that because he was not nominated for the oscar mm, for best picture for do the right thing like point. people are even like whitewashing oscars Gosh. history with that it uh, was not nominated
0: it, was, it wasn't even close no there was no competition it
1: because it was not allowed to be in the running for the best picture oscar
0: but you know spike lee more broadly speaking can be a bit of a controversial figure so i don't think we think so we we both seem to Certainly. be pretty huge spike lee fans yeah Um, But we should probably talk about that in our episode a little bit and uh, maybe use do the right thing because, you know, of our favorite directors, we tend to kind of pick a movie and talk a little bit more broadly about the director. So we'll do the same thing
1: with Spike. So it might be maybe we should have a name for this sort of episode where it's a filmmaker. We really like a movie. We really like like we did with The Big Lebowski, like we did with Punch Drunk Love, like we did with Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. And with Departed. Departed. Right.
0: And so if if you can think of a good term for this thing that Mm -hmm. we do, Mm -hmm. let us know. Yeah.
1: So if you haven't seen Do the Right Thing, really, really, really great movie. Yes, Um, you have to. Really important movie. I really
0: don't think you can be someone who considers yourself a movie lover. And I mean this with all sincerity. Here we go. Especially if you're an American. I don't think you can consider yourself a movie lover or a film buff or whatever adjective you want to give to being someone who appreciates movies (laughs) and and have not seen Do the Right Thing. I would agree. It is that much of a canon, must-see American film. There it is. You would agree with me, absolutely. I think a I lot think of critics would agree I think it's with. It's
1: irresponsible me. Yeah. not to have seen Do the Right Thing. There's actually they're they're in late July. They're showing Do the Right Thing in Brooklyn. They're doing like a oh like a thing. That's for its cool. 30th anniversary.
0: Yeah, I won't be there, but um, I'd love to go.
1: Maybe we can get the we can sponsor it or something. We can get in on that. All the money
0: that we get for doing this podcast. It's not going to stop in July. No. And we're not doing an episode, so I don't really feel right just taking all that money that we always get. So let's give it to something.
1: Yeah. All right. Wow. You guys are privy to a business meeting, uh, just an impromptu business meeting. And then we're not charging extra for this this peek behind the curtain. No, and it should
0: be a bonus episode, by the way. Yeah. I'm just going to put it in our episode. Yeah.
1: Our bonus episodes, by the way, are available (laughs) to all our Patreon subscribers. You can find our Patreon... That's um, on, one of those hidden links on, on the website. internet, yeah. So far, we have nobody listening to our bonus episodes because we have no Patreon.
0: That is how we make it confusing. Right. That we don't actually Real have hard. a
1: Patreon. Yeah. But if you want to access the bonus content, that's how you do it. Um, the merch. The t-shirts. Oh my gosh, yeah. The hats. Those are... The me- stickers. Those... All the, our... The, the I mean, beer koozies. We've got quite a membership package. For our Patreon subscribers, um, if we had if a Patreon. Had and so, uh, if you want that, hit up our Patreon. We don't have the sweatshirts anymore. No, so, well, it's summer anyways. Right, so that's what I'm, what I'm saying. So, tank So, we do have the tank. We've got the... the um, Tankini? That one's out, too. We, that was two years ago we stopped okay. making that one. But the midriff revealing muscle <laughs> tea. Is there anything else warm weather specific that... Well, it's we do the beer the koozie, and then
0: we also have that beer hat that has the straws, right?
1: That you right. put the cans in, by right. Your ears, and one of the cans is uh, a <laughs> picture of me, and the other one's a right. picture of Nate. Yes, I love that design. Yeah, I
0: love it, and no, I was like, yes, this is going to sell like like hotcakes.
1: Uh, well, none of this is for sale. It's all part no, it's of our membership Patreon. pack package on Patreon, and uh, that's no extra cost to you. Um, that's just not there, right? It just yeah we we don't have it there's not a there's not a way for you to pay that so there's no extra cost to you um, all that great extra content we're looking into uh, umbrellas like sun umbrellas oh, beach yeah. umbrellas but I want them to like do double duty
0: they could be a sun, sun umbrella or rain but, umbrella. Or rain.
1: I think any rain umbrella can be a sun umbrella yeah but or are you talking about the, the ones that, that you we were looking the, at that it like extends yeah and that
0: you could put them in the put, put it in, in the sand, sand. Yeah. or
1: it can telescope back in and then you the can just carry it like umbrella. a rain umbrella yeah yeah. Do they have that? Yeah, we, we were looking at those designs. It,
0: well, yeah. But do they work well? No, we don't I want think to make we crap. hadn't
1: found one yeah. that we thought would. When it's extended, it was a little bit flimsy, mm-hmm. and so they're looking into the 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 carbon uh, fiber. Fiber, yeah. Right. But that goes to all our members. Yep. It's uh, we've we've wrestled with the pledge drive sort of thing. Oh yeah. Do we take up your time? Yeah, but, the, but the, we've decided no, no, but the, because we don't have a way for them to pay. Right, but we're doing it now. So think about what this show means
0: to you, right? And where what your life would look like without it, right? And think and about. I think we'll
1: know in July. We will because we're not going to be we're there. I have it. Maybe we'll just, just take the whole on site the website. Down. Just to, I think we'll get more pledges. Like when they said they weren't going to make Twinkies anymore, and everybody's like, buy all the Twinkies, right.
0: and then they're like, okay, we'll make Twinkies, right? Or when IHOP said they were going to change their name the burgers, to Burgers yeah. Dude Burgers, yeah. yeah, or whatever their thing was. I don't even know anymore. I, I mean, I thought it was. Uh, Kind of brilliant, so we should do it, you know, like (laughs) make it so it's. Wow, that's confusing.
1: (laughs) We've got to do it,
0: right? So, you know, like, are we a movie podcast anymore? In July, we're not going to be there at all, and I think we're going to go. We're going to go back on Twitter and just talk about all the new things our podcast is going
1: to turn into Mm -hmm.
0: as a marketing thing.
1: And then, in response to the outrage, we'll say, "Never mind." Okay, fine. Fine. Back to the podcast. Film podcast. Do the right thing. August. August, but it's a really exciting time. No matter what we do, we're not going to be putting on an episode. We're without. not
0: going to be putting on an episode in July for sure. But we will accept feedback.
1: Um, so we got our, our website, like Nate said. Can, can we still, still be friends, friends, dot friends. Dot net. Yeah. Uh, The email that you send to us, uh, you take that can we still be friends You add feedback at. To the, to the beginning. To the beginning. Not to the end. So feedback at canwestillbefriends.net, that email will come to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a Twitter, technically, at CWSBF. We've got Facebook still. Yep, Can We Still Be Friends podcast. Right. And uh, we've got a, a voicemail. You know, maybe this is a good opportunity in July for us to listen to you.
0: 847-306-9532. We would love to hear your thoughts, but we hope you enjoy uh, your summer and uh, you know we'll, we'll catch you we'll catch you in august when yeah. we watch do the right thing and do the right thing and watch do the right thing that's right that's my i always come up with a tagline for the movies yeah that's my tagline this
1: month and i don't know if you can tell completely off the top of his head every time that's right. <laughs> so you heard it do the, do right, the right thing, thing watch, watch do, do the, the right
0: thing. thing and we'll catch you next time <laughs> bye <laughs>